All right, this is the third episode of the Nick Amp Podcast, and I'm here with 415 Dreams, a.k.a. Brian Dosicle, and his girlfriend, Katie. 415 Dreams is one of the best photographers in the entire Bay of California. I've been following him since about 2021, right down in January. We both got on the Instagram space right about the same time, and it's been awesome to see him grow as a photographer and develop his style getting the videography and currently he's a wedding videographer he's done travel destination elopements and man brian those are awesome and you've also been a photographer for marin county i mean dude that must be pretty cool living in the bay area and being able to help your community out so with further ado brian doskull who are you and when did you pick up your first camera and how did it all start oh uh, thank you nick for that lovely introduction um so my first camera was like this old nikon d i don't know something hundred and i found it in the back of a storage container that my dad bought a long time ago uh, the photos were not good but it kind of inspired me to start taking photos and i used it to actually film my first eagle scout project um i found out at the time that my iphone 6 was actually better quality than uh Nikon camera and I learned a valuable lesson that day is not to use Nikon but uh nonetheless <laughs> uh that led me to buying my first Sony camera which got me into a rabbit hole of losing a lot of money to a lot of Sony bodies but that's kind of how I got introduced into photography I remember you telling me that you grew up in the foothills by Calveras State Park right I grew up yeah, in Calaveras. Calaveras. So I remember you growing up in Calaveras. When did you move to the Bay and why? Uh, so long short story is I was born in the city and then lived in Marin County till I was about 10. And then I moved, or my parents moved up to Valley Springs, which is where I lived until I graduated high school. And then when I graduated high school, I moved back to Oakland. So to be back in the Bay Area. That, do you think that growing up in the foothills played a role in your photography? I mean, you had the sequoias right there, and then you go move into a drastic different landscape again to the Bay. You think any of that had a part of your photography in the Bay? Uh, I know when I was in high school, I took a lot of Photoshop classes or photography classes, but I always wanted to go to a full sale university for film school. Uh, the only problem was tuition for that university is beyond expensive. So never ended up going and became a YouTube university student and just studied every YouTube video I could find and probably learned a lot more that way than actually going to an actual university. Also graduated 2020 right into the pandemic. So no live classes anyway. So 2020, you graduated high school and a short call after you joined the Instagram space. YouTube university student, just like myself, what are your thoughts on going to college for videography, photography? Should creators do it? Should they not do it? What's your opinion on that? If you have the resources to do it, why not? But if you're going to go, there's a famous, there's one of the famous YouTubers I've followed for a long time is uh, Film Riot. And then Ryan Connolly is like the head guy of that YouTube channel. And he 
group, same situation where he said, if you go and you make it to film school, spend your hours learning. And he saw a lot of guys go to that film school and waste all their money and time by just wanting to party and have fun and then graduated with nothing because they didn't learn anything or they didn't make any connections. So if you have the resources, really put your best foot forward and try your best in film school or learn it all on YouTube. Either way is fine. Nobody's judging as long as you get to the destination you want to get to, right? Right on. So what do you do for a living? Is wedding photography your full-time job? Would you say that? Or do you do other things as well? Uh, as of going into 2023 and most of 2022, wedding photography and videography more particularly has been my full-time job. Um, right out of high school and growing up, I learned plumbing. So I still, if I have an old client that'll call me up for a plumbing job, I'm not going to turn it down, but I'm not trying to take any big new plumbing jobs. It's all focused for weddings. And Brian, I'm myself new to this space being a freelancer. It can be a little scary sometimes because your income isn't always steady all the time, right? How are you navigating There's, through that? And how does it how do you handle those stresses? And before you answer, this is just advice to everyone who maybe is thinking about going into freelancing. What would you tell them? Like what are your what are your tips for that? Um man, I wish I had tips. Okay. Yesterday or yeah, the day before I spent almost eight hours going back and forth with a potential client. We were going to do a big filming day for the their soccer team and an ad promo. And then after eight hours of me kind of giving them free advice and locations and rentals, houses, they were all ready to sign the contract. And then the next day I received an email at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Sorry, uh, last minute, we're going to change it and go to a different filmmaker. So work is not guaranteed by any means but i would say the biggest advice is if you get a client get a solid contract written up and get it so that you can get paid if they cancel uh, there's been a number of times when i first started out i didn't have a contract i didn't have a cancellation fee and that people would just cancel as soon as they felt like it and without notice so contract is a biggest thing i've heard many horrible horrible stories of companies not acting on good faith and i think if one thing for anyone listening to get out of this is create a contract no matter how simple it is protect yourself that's there's a all go ahead oh yeah there's a great platform honeybook it's uh a dollar for the first six months and it has all the pre-written contracts all the pre a lot of free pre-written stuff and you just update you with your info and it's drag and drop and then the client can pay right there which saves you a lot of time trying to figure out how to write a contract and get people to sign it online right so say that url one more time just for everyone listening uh honeybook honeybook Honey the best your best friend best friend oh yeah. yeah okay now i've heard of that one that's that's a go-to for many photographers all right so I want to talk about you, your time working for Vizimarin. I remember you posting about that. And I was super excited for you when you posted about that because at the time you were working plumbing and you left that to go be full-time with Vizimarin. What was that experience like serving your community as a whole, the Bay Area? Was it fun? What did you learn? 
would you do it again? Would you work for other companies in the outdoor space like that? Or are you liking staying where you're at right now? Um, so it was Marin Parks and Recreation is the official name. And they were a ton of fun to work with. We ended up doing a lot of ranger-led hikes and just, you know, getting... St- what they wanted mostly was hundreds of thousands of stock photos. They didn't want quality. They wanted content. Uh, so it meant we ended up doing a lot of hiking and just capturing just every angle of the hiking trails or hiking signs. And after a while, it was just... It was the same old, same old. Uh, the ranger hikes we did were a lot of fun. We got to learn a lot of new things and go on all these deep locations in Napa, or I'm sorry, not Napa, but Bolinas and West Marin, Nevada. Yeah, it was fun. I don't know if I would do it again. A lot of the work was on the weekends, which is when wedding days are, and weddings have tendency to pay more. Right. But if I could do it during the weekdays, I would take it. Yeah. So what are your tips then for someone who maybe doesn't want to go the freelance route to get more of a consistent job, like working for Visma and maybe it's just a company that needs a photographer. What were your tips? How did you apply for the job? What did you do? What did you provide? Did they care about your college resume? They... I was referred by another friend to who was leaving it to go start his own company down in LA and he was looking for someone to fill his void. So he referred me directly to uh, Marin County. They took a look at my Instagram. I didn't even have to submit a portfolio and they really wow. liked the style I had. So I got really lucky in that case. Um, I would say creating a really good online portfolio will go farther than actually a resume but that's been my experience so far right and people want to see what you can do versus what school you went to can you get the job done right yes so you live in the bay man i've been to the bay probably three or four times in my last two years of being more serious photographer right well (laughs) just you're just awesome. You can't really beat it, right? I mean, you got Carl the Fog there, all its uniqueness. You got the city, you got the hills, you got the Golden Gate, you got the Oakland Bridge, the Bay Bridge, not Oakland Bridge, right? It's yes, Bay Bridge. Bay Bridge. Anyways, would you say living there has really helped you improve photography versus saying you stay living in the Calaveras County area, right? I mean, because the Bay has city. And I think I lost you there for mountains, second. right? Has that helped you grow as a photographer? I would say so. I say so. When the pandemic started, um, I was working in downtown San Francisco, and I was doing plumbing on a commercial like apartment, and I was really fascinated by the empty streets of San Francisco. I had never seen it without traffic, without people, and the only people were out were just homeless people, and they were walking up. Hey, where's everyone going? Where's everyone gone? I thought this would be a unique way to capture the city. So I grabbed an old Sony, I think it was the A6400 that had been kind of collecting dust since I was too busy with work. And after work, I would just walk around the streets doing street photography and started shooting. I just jumped right back and shooting manual and shooting raw. And those photos were horrendous. (laughs) But um, doing street photography quickly taught me how to like adjust my camera settings on the fly, how to change my exposure 
and get the right exposure because the light's constantly changing every time you pan your camera over. So doing that, I kind of self-taught myself really quickly or re-self-taught myself. And then after shooting the city for maybe six months, I started venturing out and doing some actual landscape shots up at Mount Tam and seeing what the Bay Area had to offer photo-wise, not just, you know, regular people hanging out in the city. And that really kind of started the landscape side of my photography and forced me to explore new spots and led me to photograph Yosemite and all over the southwest of America and so on and so forth. In my opinion, I think that the Bay Area has the most dense photographer base out of what I've seen from a city standpoint. Because you got LA, they're kind of spread out. And in the Bay, it seems a little more tight-knit. You guys had the Bay Area photographer meetups. And even now that you guys are meeting up as much, you guys are still tight a little bit. You guys comment on your stuff. It just seems... A little bit different in the Bay Area versus if you go to any other city in terms of photographers was that community. Did you like it? I mean, was that a vital part to you growing as a photographer? I mean, networking with, networking with other people, I think, is a big part of this game. No, it definitely was. I loved the meetups. They were a ton of fun. Now, if I need to refer a client to someone or if I've had referrals sent in my way, it's just from friends and connections I've made. I praise it enough, just lately it's gotten so dangerous for photography that that's why you've seen a slowdown in groups and that's why you see there's some guys that are braving it with their camera gear, but because for me it's become more of a business than a, just a fun side job. I've slowed down doing the street photography and risking getting my camera equipment stolen unless I'm getting paid for it, which is a shame, but it is what it is. Right. I've seen those videos, man. It's saddening, terrible. We spend a lot of money in some cameras, cannon bodies, whatever it is. Camera gear is not cheap. And I've seen the signs. I know one of my first times going, uh, we're not responsible for your car being broken in. And in the parking lot, there is glass on the ground. It, I came back on my way from Point Reyes to get my photography at the bridge. And I was like, man, we're going to make this quick. I don't know if are you broken or not? I don't know how serious that sign was. So I remember taking like 10 minutes tops to get the golden gate at night. We got back to my car. And I was like, uh-oh. So then I see the video maybe, what, a year later. And I was like, well, I'm glad I was quick there. And I know a lot of photographers nowadays, yeah, they're not going to the bay. Are you going somewhere else to take photos now? Like, where's, where can you go now in the bay that you think is safer to take photos do we have to travel outside of the bay now safer is a very subjective word um i mean i've seen guys get hit at the golden gate bridge left and right and if you leave anything in your car even if you have your car completely empty they'll smash your car just to open up your trunk and see what you have inside so and i've seen so i don't want to recommend someone to like you know go here and then there just happens to be someone with a gun there that day because then I'd feel horrible. Mm-hmm. National parks are probably the safest option still, honestly, because they don't want to pay the fee and it's too far out of the way for someone to go to rob someone. I agree 100%. I, uh, when I camp in national parks, I mean, I, I feel a lot safer than staying on BLM land. I know BLM land's free and all that, but let's be real. 
staying in National Park. Most likely, everyone there is paid to be in a Gideon, but they have a National Park's pass. They're paid for the campsite. They probably also have nice gear if they're right next to you, so more than likely you're safer there. But it is up to, you're right, it is up to the user's discretion to go visit these other spots that are more potentially dangerous. And I bring up another question. So your landscape, cityscape photographer, how did this wedding photography start? Why did you get into it? Well, it makes more money, but when and how did you get into wedding photography? It was a really slow start to get into wedding photography. Um, I always like taking portraits. I have nothing wrong with it. And I was pretty good at it. I mean, with practice. But I ended up having a couple hit me up on Instagram asking if I could do their engagement photos. And we walked around downtown San Francisco in the Golden Gate and we took hundreds of photos. And it was my first ever paid portrait session and my first time ever delivering photos. And I did not do any of the correct steps. I sent them all the photos on Google Drive before I even collect payment. And then I was like, I sure hope these people pay me, which they did. And I'm super grateful. But it ended up leading me to do take more portraits. Yeah. Ended up leading me to take more portraits of my friends. And I think the first really big event I did was at the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco for the New Year's Eve, someone's 40th birthday party. They were renting this place out. The place goes for $40,000 for one night to stay here. So I was invited to be the event photographer. It was my first time using multiple off-camera flashes, but I went all out hoping that it would work. Photos came out unbelievably well, and I still use them in my portfolio to this day just because of how well they showed up. Clients love them and still delivered the photos without collecting payment first, but they also paid. Not anymore. That's good to have. I mean, I think in our line of work, building relationships is a big deal. I mean, for you, you had to break into the industry, right? I mean, would you say it was hard? What kind of tips would you give to breaking into the photography industry? Because everyone... I get a lot of questions about it. I'm sure you get questions about it. How do you get paid for this? And how did you get to that spot? So I took a really long route to get into it. Here would be my suggestion if you wanted to get into wedding photography or videography as fast as possible. Uh, step one, go... I heard this on a podcast. I have yet to try it myself, but referring this to someone who hasn't heard. Go on Craigslist. You can put a post out for anyone who's recently gotten married and wants some free photos, or maybe you'll even pay them $50 to do what's called a styled shoot. And then have people submit some of their wedding photos, see if it's a bride and groom or groom and groom or bride and bride that you would want to photograph and have us on your portfolio. And if it is, hit them up, be like, hey, here's 50 bucks. We'll go to the Golden Gate Bridge and I'll take a bunch of photos for you for free. And then in return, you get to use those photos as a portfolio of photos to show you actually know what you're doing. And on Facebook Marketplace during wedding season or on HoneyBooks, for some people, there's like a listings. If uh, anyone's looking for a second shooter, usually within a week, they're going, hey, you know, this Friday, we need a second shooter to come help me out. And you reply with your website, your portfolio, and a way to contact you. And hopefully you get a response and you just strengthen numbers. As the warriors say, you just respond to as many people as possible. 
And for me, last year was my first wedding season. So I, after one or two weddings I did for a friend, I just started responding to every post I could with the three videos that I had and the three or like two photos I took. And it just ever so slowly grew and grew and grew until I have a really solid portfolio of work. That's awesome. I know a lot of people are trying to break into the industry. They get a little excited and want to get to the paid work right away. And I myself talk from experience too. I mean, you think you're good and deserve to be paid. You do deserve to be paid, but you got to put in your time and show that you can do the work. I think the way you're at one is probably why you've been able to develop your skills really well and get to the spot where you're booking clients all the time. I checked out your wedding website and that's when I saw that your girlfriend was or your camera operator, right? I mean, what's that like to share girlfriend? Mm-hmm. My girlfriend isn't in photography, but she still is like my accountability buddy and make sure I take care of business no matter what. So I'm sure you can kind of relate to sharing this. Katie, what's it like sure, here? Sir. What in photography business? Um, I mean, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, he's been teaching me a lot about photography too. So then being able to work with him and get to be with him, I think it's exciting. And then trying to, you know, make sure he answers the emails and stuff for if we get clients and then just keeps up with it. And then I also helped recreate the website too. And then he just finished it and made it look prettier. It looked good. Um, was it nerve wracking? Thank you. Was it nerve wracking being on a shoot with Ryan? I mean, I know my girlfriend gets nervous to mess up my shots. It definitely gets a little nerve. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a little nerve wracking, especially with like more of the videography side of it. Since that's a little harder than photography, I believe. On a wedding day, there's there's usually I run three cameras for video now. And on a wedding day, I'm running from one camera to the next camera to the next to make sure they're all at the right settings, recording, then I'm checking audio at the DJ to make sure I'm getting levels, and then running back to the bride and groom to d- triple check I've turned my laugh mics on and that they're not just turned off doing nothing in their pocket. So I've got walkie-talkies too. And then we invested in, it took a while, but we ended up getting really good walkie-talkies so we could scream at each other silently during wedding ceremonies. So how do you guys keep a healthy work-life relationship? I mean, at some point, you guys kind of have to separate being on the job, being serious, and hopefully you guys don't take anything personal when you say, Katie, got to do it this way and not this way. How do you guys manage going through that and feeling home, being together? Um, usually it's talking it out. And then after the wedding day, I try to explain thoroughly why we needed to do it one way and not the other so that going into the next wedding, we are on a little bit better understanding, but personally, my way sometimes seems better. So, <laughs> but, uh, usually, yeah, talk about, and then it's always, you know, the weekends we're doing, you know, wedding stuff. So during the week, we just do our own thing, which is nice. Well, it ends up being editing. Oh, Yeah. But we do other things. Could you could use some part editing? But I know I will full experience not give you my girlfriend well proper these what I want is what I want. Maybe I, I know what I want in my head and then I didn't color every single stuff I wanted. Or 
you've have you lived you a long pretty Sounds quickly like that you have to lay it out one two three four five sticks this is this step in order there's i don't know if you know who this director is michael bay did all the transformer films but there's this thing he calls it's like bay dumb or something like that this is his name and he's he has a lot of his films are completely planned out in his head so he's trying to direct people to what his vision is in his head and no one really understands what go what is going on except for him and his and he knows exactly what he wants to do and usually it works out but i think that happens to us as well or in the back of my head i know exactly how i want this shot to turn out and i realize i need to slow down and explain it because we can't take this shot again well i have to tell him explain it to me like i'm a two-year-old otherwise i will not get it <laughs> well that's okay i mean a part of being in that leadership role you have to be able to communicate that in to your coworkers, to your clients, because your clients need to know what's going on too at, to a certain extent, and you have to be able to communicate that. And I think being as a freelancer, you wear many hats, and you're the director, you're the audio specialist, you're the camera specialist. You have to know how to do your money, your editing. You quickly learn many different skills really fastly, or you're going to fail, and then you learn. But I would say... Being a freelancer probably is one of the best ways to grow your skills fast and learn the fast environment. Like, so do you think, I know being a freelancer is different from working like on a, a set. Have you worked on a set before? Kind of like not a set, but like a whole team. Um, difference than being the main guy, just a freelancer. I have not yet. Almost, I've done a lot of work. No, I've I've worked under other filmmakers, and there was one wedding where the, we, there was three filmmakers in total, or four actually, sorry, with Katie involved, and it just became a lot of guys. The problem was is two of the guys. It just became a lot of guys standing around because there's only so much you can film, and there's only so many cameras you can put on the bride at once. Other than that, no, I have not been on a set. Right. So transitioning to the traveling side of things, I've met you in Yosemite before out there on the Vernal Falls Trail. Do you have any national parks that you want to do this year that you want to see? They're just the must-see ones. Or what are they, man? I think the one's up in Oregon. Was it Bend, Oregon? Or no? I think it was Washington. Or I don't know. I think it starts with an A. Washington and Colorado are two states I have yet to go to, and those are ones I'd like to visit, like the Wyoming. Oh, yeah, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Just exploring our reach a little more. Montana. The other side of Sora National Park. <laughs> We've been to Sora National Park. Sora National Park has two parks. There's the east and there's the west, and her parents just moved maybe two minutes away from the west park. So we've been to the west side many, many times, but never to the east side. And where is this at? This is South Arizona, so two cells. Oh, oh, sorry, you said Sonora, right? So Sonora Desert? Sonora. 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 Oh, Sagiro. Or the cactus one. Yes, no, I don't know how to pronounce it right. Yeah, yeah, Sigur. So I hear you now, you know, I don't. I know some people say it without the G. It's a silent G. Some say it with it. I say Seguero. Probably say it wrong. But no, that one looks cool, man. So are you guys car camping? Are you guys staying in hotels? 
what are you guys doing? I mean, I car camp all the time. I know. We're living life, you know, five-star penthouses, the whole works. No. Um, <laughs> nine out of ten times it's car camping. The well, well, we tried to car camp. So, okay, <laughs> we did a really long, like two and a half, three, almost three-week long road trip all throughout Southwest, like Arizona, Utah, Nevada, the whole works. And our plan was she has a Honda Civic and we were going to buy the backseat inflatable bed and we were just sleeping that. And before this two week long road trip, we never actually tested to see if we would fit. We just kind of assumed we would. So we get to Sedona, Arizona. We find some, we get, we show up at night. We find some of the BLM land that they have outside and there's all the RVs and trucks on the side of this dirt road and we figure okay we'll park here and it says no camping so we didn't bother setting up our tent we brought along we're like we'll just sleep in the back of this car and we find out very shortly that this back seat is meant for someone who's like four foot eleven maybe shorter not for two not for two people fit me not you and did not get any sleep tried hiking out in Sedona the next day but it was just it was not going well but no, after that, it was setting up a tent every night. And just we got it down to where we had the trunk packed where I could pull out the tent first, get that set up, and then all of our necessities, sleeping bag and stuff would pull out next right into the tent. So that's what, how our plans were. That sounds like it sucks. I stay in a Honda Civic as well. And I'm not very tall. You saw me. I'm a lot shorter than you. So I fit. And I couldn't imagine anyone bigger than me staying in there. And I couldn't imagine a whole other person in there with me because I bring a lot of gear. I'm sure you guys walk in the two. I mean, I don't know how you guys did it. Like, was your back hurting? Like, <laughs> everything hurt that next morning. Oh. It was. Hygiene did not go well. I almost fell. 10 out of 10 recommend? I would, yes, I would definitely recommend it to anyone. You know, Honda Civic all the way. That's I, the only option. I'd love to eventually get like a forerunner or even just an older one and then throw a roof or a Subaru and throw a roof rack or a roof tent on top of it. That seems like it would solve a lot of my issues. But as for now, I, when I was in Bryce Canyon, I was in Mount Civic and I didn't bring a warm sleeping mm-hmm. bag and my feet were in the trunk. I don't know if that's how you guys were. Were your feet in the trunk? Yeah. He rolled the trunk. No. It's hard to open it yet. Our trunk was so packed with stuff, and then we didn't want to unload it and be on land and just have someone. You guys didn't put the seat come and grab it. How'd you guys sleep? We didn't think about it like that. <laughs> no, it was like I did the light like, this way. So no, I was basically I was like halfway on the floor. It was. Yeah, I was being like nestled up with no room. <laughs> It was rough. It was it was a really rough night. Oh fantastic! This is what you don't see on the Instagram. You don't see all the behind. Oh yeah, yeah. No, do you? That would be really cool to see more of your behind the scenes and your travels like that. Like we've been posting your stories because I know like a lot of your videos reels are more probably video based. But I think people would really like to see you guys behind the scenes more. Yeah, I know I saw a lot of your travels stuff like that, but. People don't realize that photographers, they air the trenches too, man. They they do some crazy stuff like that out there. And 
I've gotten messages. I know friends, like friends of mine have also got messages of people that are like, all you do is just luxury travel. You're living the best life. I hate your lifestyle. And I was like, or it's like, go get a real job. I'm like, I just saved my money and now I'm sleeping in the back of the car. It's not that luxurious. You can do it too. It's not glorious. Your biggest expense is gas. And let me tell you, over the summertime, it's not fun spending that money on the gas. I don't know about you guys. So my personal car is an old school Mercedes AMG that takes premium fuel and gets a solid 14 miles to the gallon uh, and driving to Monterey almost every weekend for weddings or Napa or like anywhere for like four hours long. It's a really nice comfortable car on the way down and then you spend about $250 to fill your tank. It was painful. What was, what was the most expensive gas in the bay? I mean, how high did it get? Eight or nine dollars a gallon. All over here crying in Central California with six clubs, man. I'm crying with that. If you guys are over there paying two more dollars than me. That's why two sounds nice. It's two bucks right now. Look, going back to landscape photography, do you got a favorite photo or maybe a photo that just holds a little extra memory behind it that sometimes it can be hard when you go down? I'd say the picture of me on Yosemite, the one I have pinned where I'm standing, I think off one of the ledges and then you see Half Dome in the background, even though it was a really photoshopped sky in that photo. <laughs> And some work went into it to make the lighting look really good. It, uh, I think it stands as my favorite because it was the first time I ever kind of booked a Yosemite trip. The uh, job I had on for plumbing canceled on me. So I took it as like a YOLO, let's just go out to the Yosemite. Got last minute reservations, booked a way overpriced Airbnb and was up because this was in the middle of summer. I was up at like 3 a.m. to get to the spot. Didn't go to bed till sunset and then did the same thing the next day to do another sunrise point because I was driving in and out of the park. So for me, that signifies one of my favorite photos, just the amount of work that went into it and the passion it started. And for those of you who don't know, wherever you're staying outside of the park, it's usually about a good at least 30 minute drive if you're not staying inside the park. So you get to the gates, you probably still have 30 minutes to get there. And this guy was out here driving far ways away, going up down these windy roads early in the morning at sunrise. And we're gonna put this photo up when I post it on YouTube. I know I know exactly what photo it is. That it is an awesome photo, man. How did you find the courage to stand up there on that ledge? I don't know, man. If I could do that, you stood on it. I could probably crawl out there, but I don't know if I could stand. <laughs> it's um I have a video of it on my phone. Like my camera's so shaky, it just doesn't look anything but you just try, you can't think about it you stand there and you just get as calm as you can you just very calmly walk out and then you very calmly walk back no you can't get shaky you can't look down you can't think about it and then i this is before i had like a remote or anything so i would just set my camera on it like a t try or a time lapse timer and i'd try to guess but i'd focus it where i think it would yeah, like the interval timer, and then I would hike out, stand still, and hope that I got the photo, and then hike back and 
hope to and check all the photos to find the one that works. Are you scared of heights, man? <laughs> yeah. So okay, we were driving back from her parents' place in Tucson back to the Bay Area, which is a very long drive, probably 15, 16 hours if you hit no traffic and no stops. Um, so we decided to break up the trip by stopping in Joshua Tree. We've driven it through before once, but we never actually got to see it or experience the sunsets. We planned to stay a couple days there camping, and we were going to go rock climbing because it's famous for a lot of its rock climbing routes. It's also famous for sandbagging routes, which means they grade or they make it sound a lot easier than it actually is. We, or I decided that one of the rock climbing routes I was going to do was, it's like a mix of trad and sport. So trad is where you have to place your own gear and then hope that the gear you place into the rock is safe enough to hold you in case you fall. And sport is where they have pre-drilled like anchor holds where you can put your own clips and put your own. It's a little safer. So the first half of the rock climbing route was all trad and it was pretty easy. It was a nice crack. Placing gear every give or say six, seven feet. So if I fell, it wouldn't be too far. And then we got to the sport part. And the sport part was this really long, like slabby rock with just enough grip that if you crawled like a gecko, you can get up it. But there was no real holds. And so I got to the first clipping point and then looking up, there was the second clipping point, maybe another 20 feet up. And so I had to crawl and crawl and crawl on this like nearly vertical ledge to get to the next clipping point, which then from where I looked up, it would be another 40 feet to the top for myself or to get to a point where I had to lay down. And I get up about 10 feet and I'm doing the math in my head where if I fall, you fall however high you are to until your last clipping point and then a significantly farther point because the rope stretches and looking down I was like oh that's a good 40 foot fall if I take a fall right now or just slide this is not in optimal conditions I've never taken a fall with you either and still learning how to just you know belay him too and if I take a fall she gets yanked up through the ropes never done so at that point a fear of heights kicked in, but normally no. So when I was up there, I had to like shimmy my way off the rock and get to this clipping point to kind of set up an anchor to lower myself. Um, so until then, I never really had a fear of heights. I hung out of a helicopter with just a seatbelt holding me in over the Golden Gate Bridge, which I'm sure you've seen that photo. Looks like. Yeah, one of my favorite. Highly recommend it. What did you go through? Uh, we went through specialized helicopters and then they have an open door helicopter flight so on the flight they fly the flight was a lot shorter than i was expecting it to be they basically most of the flight was straight to the golden gate bridge and then by the city skyline and straight back and they don't mention that 99 percent of the flight is the flight to the golden gate bridge and then once you're there they do one little pass through and then they head back but when the pass-through happened, I had it prepared in my head. At the time, it was the widest lens I had was a 24. So I'd practice shots where I would go like this to see the angle I wanted. And that was the only way I can get all of my legs and my hands and the helicopter in the shot. So time comes to fly over the Golden Gate Bridge. I have my camera on burst mode and I'm just, wee with my feet <sighs> out of the helicopter and my hands. 
and I'm like literally hanging out of the helicopter with just a car seatbelt holding me in. And then my camera's above my head, just on burst mode, shooting away. But we got right. the shot, so it was worth it. You, I just got my 16 millimeters, so I ended up shooting on 24. I had to be tough to get your feet in there. Tough. You had to have been nervous if you were going to get that shot, perfectly or not. You had a burst, but still, I mean, there had to be some party that was like, did I get the shot? Well, on top of that, the camera, the, so that, there was the A7R3. I don't know if you have any history with it, but it, the burst mode or the buffering zone fills up really quickly. So I was already on burst mode because we were arriving at the Golden Gate Bridge and I was trying to get all these different angles because it's this one opportunity. And then my camera's notifying me that it's full and it's loading. And I'm like, come on, please just load faster so I can make sure I have enough shots for when we go over the Golden Gate Bridge. But I got really lucky and it worked out. And for those of you who don't know why the A7R3 buffers for so long is because it shoots at a high megapixel, right? Is that, is that why it shoot buffers? Because the A7R3 is at 40. That pixels. is a 40, it, 48 and it's kind of old, but it still produces like top tier images. I would recommend anyone who's looking, who's on a budget and wants a really high end photography camera, that would be the one. You can do huge prints with it, and it's going to give you all the detail in the world. And with that being said, when you're shooting A7R3, you're not trying to shoot sports with that camera because it's slower, right? Even the A7R4 is not right. They can do it. With these, could, could, could the A7R4 do it? There's the R5. R5, sorry. I think, I think any camera can do... I think any camera can do sports. I don't... I think the R5 is even faster because it has all the new memory cards and the faster readers. It's just the R3 is kind of getting old. All right. It's a couple generations behind, to say the least. Yeah, they came out, what, 2015, 2016? I couldn't tell you. I've had it for a while. Yeah. Do, do you think that gear matters, Brian? Do we have to have the fanciest cameras? Okay, I have mixed opinions on this. I argue... <laughs> I see if you can afford new gear and you think it'll ignite a passion to go out and do the photography, get it. But I also... I mean, at the moment, I have four Sony bodies. and But that's also on the half of... For weddings, You especially if you're running your own production company, you just... If a camera body fails and suddenly you're at a wedding with nothing that's suboptimal and from my experience there's oftentimes the photographer will go stand right in front of one of my tripods so i like to have two other safety shots going on and it just gives you a professional touch because you can pre present to the client that hey you know we film with three cameras that way if you want an uncut version of your wedding ceremony or, or toast we can provide that because you know you have two other safety angles you can cut too so it's a mixed opinion that is a very good insight because a lot of people who are not in the industry or maybe just starting out, they wouldn't know that they need that many. I mean, I'm getting hired to film an event in June at a wedding. It's like Kings to Kings and Yura. And I asked a buddy, I was like, what do I need to do? And he was like, bro, you need multiple bodies. Like, it's no joke. And I think for what you're seeing right here is really good for what they hear because... 
I, I couldn't imagine what would go through your head if a body failed. Like, I know my heart would sink, man. I don't know how you feel. Like, right here. As long as the footage is still good, I that's why I have the two other cameras going. Um, right. I mean, most of my cameras have been extremely reliable. The I broke my first ever lens at the last wedding I filmed. Um, or the last wedding of last... The last wedding of last wedding season. It was on a tripod and I was switching the lenses over. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Peak Design tripod. But I thought yep. it was tightened down. And as I pulled the lens off, it would just stay there and something happened. It just... The lens just fell right off the tripod and hit the ground. And it bent the uh, auto... The, like the met, the mount, it all bent and it broke the autofocus on the lens. No. My favorite lens, too. Good old 70 to 200 broke. I would have cried. I would have paid on the lens. I, I, I threw it in my bag. And I was like, I can't think about this for the rest of the wedding day. Otherwise, it's going to mess up my shots. Yeah, no, you're going to keep going at the moment, right? But I mean, after the fact, and I heard I broken many lenses, many, because the tripod wasn't tightened all the way and it just goes back just like that so what is your main camera setup like what's the one that you got in uh you're always good to go to are we doing photos or video because it's two different sorry give me both okay so for video i just picked up the fx30 um and i really like it and i can really do good handheld films with it but if it's anything on a gimbal, which is a lot of the wedding date, it's the A7S III with either the 24-70 or a 35-1.4. And then um, I try to keep not too much stuff on the camera body if it's on the gimbal because you want a pretty lightweight. But the second it's off the camera or it's off a gimbal, I load it up with stuff because you want, it's ironic, you want more weight for handheld. So I'll do a top mount, I'll do a monitor, I'll do... A nice shotgun mic the whole works that does make sense because i feel like if i'm holding like a little tiny cell like this but if you have something weighty that makes more sense i'm getting I'm, I'm new to the video world so i'll try to visualize this in my head of how that would help but that does make sense i know the fx3 is out just came out with the fx30 should people just skip the fx30 go to the fx3 or what do you think? The FX3 and the FX30 are identical cameras except for the sensor. So if you're trying to save yourself $3,000 or $4,000, go to the FX30 and use it to buy a nice lens, a nice, a really, really nice shotgun mic because it's got the nice shotgun handle. And you'll have more fun than just having a really expensive body that does... I identically the exact same thing do you think it was a waste that's how i would that actually i don't think it was a waste because i mean you're saving a lot of money what do you think um i don't think so at all because the fx3 is the exact same body as the a7s3 so you have this really like low light king camera where the fx30 can't do the same super low light but the fx30 also makes it so someone who doesn't have five thousand dollars to invest into a cinema camera it lets them get a full-on professional looking camera and start making movies or filming whatever they want to film all right closing out with a 
two last questions. Thoughts on Instagram not prioritizing photos? Are you a fan of it? Should we be posting reels? Should photographers post their work on Instagram anyways? Or should they move to another platform? Well, how do you feel about good old Instagram these days, Brian? Um, I know my photos get nothing of reach compared to what they used to. So it's, you know, it's sad to see, but it is what it is. Just move on. If photographers want to post reels, let them. I'm not stopping them. All Instagram does is punish you if, if you don't post reels. And then I don't know if you know this or if you're part of it where they Instagram will pay you to post reels. But if yeah. you accept it, you end up losing all your views because they know that they have to pay you. So they just don't give you any views. And I tested this theory out. I posted a wedding video and I turned off the setting for receiving money. And sure enough, that video is the only one in the last three months to get 100,000 views. All the others are topped out at like 10,000. So now I've heard this, I've heard the same thing about that's what TikTok does is that they say that once they join it, that you get less views. And at least from my experience, Instagram seems to pay more for views than TikTok. So that's the only thing it's got going for it. But in terms of photographers wanting to share their work, in terms of photos, should they keep doing it? I don't see why not. There's people like, I don't know if you know who Jacob is, Jacob LR. He has yeah, this, I do know him. a film page. And his film page gets excessively great numbers constantly. And I love it for him, but... I think if you enjoy posting photos, do it. Nothing's stopping you. Um, there's no one better yet for, till Instagram. And I'm sure someone will try to make something because it's an open market right now. But as of now, right. just keep posting photos. Have fun with it. Because Vera tried to be out there. I was on there for about a couple of days. I didn't really catch her. I know some people liked it. Um, I wasn't too big of a fan. It was not, no hate to it. It just wasn't my thing. What about you? It was... It it feels like the UI is lackluster. It's Instagram is still the smoothest to like scroll through and find photos, but I'm sure if someone just directly copies Instagram because that's what they're known for doing. <laughs> All right, so closing out, what is your advice to someone who has started out photography or videography, either one, they just got their very first camera. What are your advice to them to get better and just exploring this part of the creative craft. I would say a couple of things. One is learn everything you can on YouTube. There is great tutorials. There is countless videos on exposing. There's what makes a good photo, a good photo. And then actually just going on practicing and repetition creates obsession and so on and so forth. So just watch a YouTube video at night, spend 20 minutes dedicating yourself every day to learn something new about photography and then maybe trying to practice it next week. Right. And that would be my biggest advice. To them, should, what should they focus on more? Getting the big fancy camera or focusing on their compositions? Because I know... My A camera, my A7 IV, it got too much condensation in Yosemite. 
So I ended up having to pull out my uh, Sony A6300. Winter storm in Yosemite, man. Best conditions of my life. Um, camera failed, so I pulled out this one, and lighting was still good. I got some good photos still because I lined up the shots right. Lighting was right. Does it? Can you still get good photos with a more beginner camera? Absolutely. If you hand a great filmmaker a beginner camera and a beginner filmmaker like a red camera or some like overly priced camera, the better filmmaker is going to get better content every single day of the week. And it just comes down to practice and knowing how to line your camera up and knowing the settings on your camera. Learn your camera thoroughly. Like, I don't know. I was setting up my camera and it was facing away from me, but I knew just from using it so often where all the buttons were laid out to actually change my aperture, change my ISO, all those settings. So, right. And someone's just the standing new camera learning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, someone once told me the lighting makes any camera look good. Good lighting. Good lighting makes any camera look good. Absolutely. All right, Ryan. So where can the people find you on Instagram? Are you on TikTok? Are you on Twitter? Where can we find you? What's your at? What's your handle? Basically, it's everything. It's uh, 415 Dreams. The number is 415 for the Bay Area. That's my website, my YouTube, my Instagram, my TikTok. Uh, even my email, if you want to shoot me an email, it's all there. Dude, such a classic. When I reference you to my girlfriend, I don't even say your name is Brian. I just say, oh yeah, 415. <laughs> I don't even say Brian. I say, hey, 415 said this, or look at this, look at this photo that 415 took. I don't know. It's just been easier to see that than say your name, because I think for a while I didn't know your name. So I just always reference you as Power 5. So now when I talk to her about you, like I was telling her about this podcast, I was like, yeah, I got 4 and 5 in the podcast. We're going to get going. So I think that you've really created a, a good brand name with that. I mean, it's your trademark now at this point. Not, you know what I mean? It's what you're known for. Yeah, it's it's unique. People who haven't heard it or are not from the Bay Area do not associate it with anything. They're just like, okay, I guess that works. That's the only thing I've noticed. If it's someone in the Bay Area, they really like it or that understands that it's a Bay Area area code. Well, for you those for those of you who are listening and you don't follow four and five dreams already, make sure you follow him on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, all of it, because he's posting some of the best photos in the Bay Area. He's sharing his wedding photography with his girlfriend Katie. They even have a travel page going to their national parks. I've seen those cute couple photos, Ryan. They're good, man. <laughs> Way to post Katie. So, anyways, Ryan, Katie, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. This is my third one. Um, I'm sure I'll have you on later on. I'm going to be keeping this going for a long time, I hope. I'm going to be interviewing photographers, videographers, outdoorsy people. I just want to give people a platform where they can speak about the outdoor industry. I know you're in outdoor photography, and you're one of the first people I thought of because, I mean, we've been going back since 2021, and one of the first people I've looked up to, and I still look up to you asking questions about the business. So, again, Brian, Katie, thank you guys for coming on. Thank you guys so much for having us. We can't wait to come back. 